Good morning. I have the privilege this morning of introducing our, our guest speaker this morning. Uh, pastor David Kitani is an associate pastor at New Life Community Church uh, in Lincoln Heights, and that's in East LA. Uh, it is a cross-race, cross-class church in a predominantly working class in a community of immigrants. And so I'm excited because David is, I think, uh, gifted and experienced to speak uh, on this topic today that, that God is uh, going to teach us about. His wife, G Sun, is here, and G is a PhD and a professor at Cal State LA. And they have two young boys, Amos, who's 10, and Nathan, who's 8, and I think they're in the, the children's ministry. Um, I'm excited because uh, David grew up at this church. David and his brother and his sister and his, his birth family, his parents, they, they've been at this church uh, many years, and so I think I've known David for 30 years probably um, when he was just a, in the children's ministry in the youth group. And so many of you know him. Uh, we're excited that he could come and as an experienced pastor to come and preach and give us God's word this morning. So uh, let us welcome David to the stage. <laughs> okay, okay, we're good. Yeah, I'm so glad for Darren. He, he married into the Hara family, so, you know, it's awesome. Good morning, West Covina Christian Church. Uh, really, I want to thank you so much for your prayers, for your financial support that allows me and my family to minister in a cross-race, cross-class church, uh, minister God's kingdom uh, on the east side. So thank you so much. Uh, that's so meaningful for us. Uh, with that in mind, Pastor Corey invited me to speak on this challenging passage in the Bible that we are tempted to just, let's just skip that part. This passage touches on racism in the church. Okay, I know this is a touchy topic, not, not the lightest topic right here, but we have to speak to it um, even as the early church even struggled with this. This is not just a modern problem. The second part of the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that means sometimes your neighbor is going to be pretty different than you. So before we jump into this passage and message, I want to be sure to, I want to clarify what I mean by some terms. So at least you know the terms, the way I'm using them. So the first term is race. And when I say race, uh, I want to acknowledge that this is largely a socially constructed word. Uh, that generally defines difference of people, uh, groups by physical appearance, and often by skin color. It's more than just country or nationality. The next word is racial prejudice. Racial prejudice. Now, if you're feeling, ooh, some defensiveness rise up within you, I want to recognize we all struggle with prejudice. We judge people uh, before knowing everything about them. We all have a sinful tendency to pride and some favoritism, so why would that touch on racial differences? Uh, I confess, even in my years of cross-race ministry, I have to continually uncover and unroot 
any sort of racial prejudice that comes out of me. And hopefully, hopefully it's, I'm doing better with that with God's help. Now, our final term to clarify what I mean by the word racism, the way I'm going to use it, racism isn't the same thing as individual racial prejudice. Uh, I'm using this definition from Monrovia's, uh, uh, they have a class and workshop on racial reconciliation, so I'm, I'm using from there. So racism is different because racism is when a racial prejudice, like an individual racial prejudice, it starts to work its way into systems. And by systems, I mean like groups of people, uh, institutions, such as a church, uh, such that sometimes it starts to take on a life of its own, uh, bigger than just one individual person's choice. Like uh, an analogy I use, I don't, I don't know, I didn't know this, but uh, apparently there is somewhere in the ocean like a pile of trash like the size of Texas. Like nobody was like, let's just make a huge pile of trash in the ocean. No. So everybody just, one little thing, ah, that's just like a little, you know, little straw or something like that. It all kind of gathers together. That, that becomes a system. It's not just everyone contributed to that whether they wanted to or knew they were or not. That, that's an example, right, where a system could kind of take on a life of its own. Okay, now that we've clarified some words, let's open up our hearts now to what God wants to speak to us this morning uh, from an episode in the early church by, narrated by the Apostle Paul. So, if you're feeling paralyzed when it comes to racism, God wants to bring a word of clarity and hope to us. Amen? So please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Uh, this is taken from the book of Galatians, the series that you are going through, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. I'll be reading from the NIV. Starting from verse 11. When Cephas, uh, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. So how is it then that you can force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For though the law, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. 
But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Lord, help us speak to us. How do we see racism in this passage? Are you just reading this into it, Dave? Let's see. Let's take a look. Well, first, in verse 15, Paul states the Jewish view, common at that time, that we are, because, you know, Paul, that narrator, he's a Jew too. We are Jews by birth. Jews by birth. What does that mean? This means the Jewish race wasn't something you could achieve, or was it dictated by where you were born? but rather by your genes, not, you know, not the genes pants, but the genes inside of our bodies, our blood. Specifically for Jewish people, they're all, all who are descendants of Jacob, who God turned his name to Israel. So that's race. Then where do we see racial prejudice? We see racial prejudice appear in how some, some Jewish people viewed themselves in contrast to, I mean, a little bit sarcastic, I feel Paul is saying this, sinful Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? Gentiles are basically the word they would use for anyone who is not Jewish. Some of the Jews felt superior to the other non-Jews, the chosen people, right? And even though Paul, he goes on to make clear that no one, no one, not even the Jewish people, are able to be righteous before the law except for Jesus. So he's saying there's a prejudice happening here. Now, how does this become racism? This racial prejudice, it begins to become racism as it pressed into systems of how these Jewish people actually interacted with Gentile people. Jewish laws, if you read the Old Testament, uh, there were, they saw certain foods as unclean. Certain foods as unclean, so uh, the Jewish people were known for the way that they would eat their food, like kosher, right? It had to be kosher. But that law, it moved into human tradition, that somehow they started saying, well, the gent- those who eat like that, those Gentiles themselves, those people are unclean. So we see in verse 12, we learn of this circumcision group, right, who are the Jewish people, who insisted that all believers, all believers, they needed to follow the Jewish ceremonial laws. They needed to eat like that too. They needed to get circumcised. They needed to do all those Jewish sort of things. So you see here, racial prejudice was not just like an individual feeling about something. It became racism because it started to permeate whole systems of groups, institutions, and even their laws. This is what Paul the Apostle had to speak out against as the early church was forming. Okay, so what lessons, what lessons can we learn about racism from this passage? We see racism is a gospel issue. I've heard so many times, Look, let's just focus on the major thing. Major things, gospel things. It's racism stuff, it's justice stuff, that, that's just minor stuff. Paul, who wrote most of 
the New Testament, Paul addresses this issue of racism here as a major gospel issue. He even says, look, what's happening right here? This is not in line with the gospel of truth. I got to stand on this. And you know, Paul's pretty passionate. So much so that he doesn't talk to Peter in private about his error. I'm like, oh, Paul, you're just so savage. Like, you just don't have sensitivity, man. Like, can't you just do that privately? No. He, he has to call it out publicly in front of everyone. He has to put uh, Peter on blast in front of everyone, even his own leader. His mentor was implicated in this. Why? Why are you being so harsh, Paul? Because racism hinders the witness of the gospel. Amen? You see, Peter, he was a leader of the church. He was doing life with the Gentile believers. He was, he was making them feel like, hey, this gospel of Jesus, it connects us. It breaks down these barriers. But when these particular Jews came, Peter was like, ooh, he, he ghosted them. He, he distanced himself from the Gentiles. How would you feel if you were in those Gentiles' shoes? Do racial hierarchies still persist in the gospel? Are we only second-class citizens in the kingdom of God? Does Jesus' love not extend all the way to me? Gospel, that word means good news. How can the gospel be good news if we still keep treating each other just like the world does? That's not good news, that's just news. The gospel ceases to be good news if it means that we must still earn our place. Treating, right, and especially if I have to earn my place through some sort of race-specific rules. Paul ends this passage in verse 21 by declaring, I do not set aside the grace of God, the unmerited, that means undeserved favor of God. I don't set aside God's undeserved favor for us. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So you see, it's a gospel issue. Christ, in Romans it says, that Paul wrote, Christ died for us while we were still sinners, not when we all cleaned up. The good news of Jesus means we don't have to be born or live a certain way before we can receive it. Now, as Paul says in verse 17 and 18, this doesn't mean license to, oh, yeah, I got my ticket to heaven, I got Jesus, I can just go on, live it up, ask for forgiveness, we're good. No, he's saying, look, it doesn't, it's not a license to go on sinning because that's just going to destroy ourselves. But rather, the gospel now in the gospel, we have the power. In Romans 6, it says when we're baptized, it's like the symbol of Jesus is uniting himself to us, not just in death, but in life. So we got his power within us now to live a different way. That's the gospel. We don't get fixed before we receive the gospel. We get the gospel, and it does its work through us and in us. But these life changes, they're not to be conflated or mixed up with forcing one specific racial expression of faith as more superior than others. Uh, we might see this, uh, we see it a lot in music, right? The kind of music we listen to or even the worship music. Uh, 
Maybe we're used to a certain style of worship music, right? Like, this is the right way to worship God. And then you find some other cultures, the way they, they're out of control. They're not worshiping God, right? It just doesn't look the same as we're used to, but it doesn't mean it's wrong, right? If they're worshiping something else, that's, that's different, but they're worshiping Jesus, come on, right? So that's why it, it, it's kind of hard to distinguish the difference uh, uh, sometimes between, uh, you know, what's, what's God and what's my culture, right? It's kind of hard. That's why uh, we have to share the table of fellowship with Christians of different cultural perspectives around the word of God. You know, I'm, it brings me so much joy to look out in the, the audience and see, like, the, color, like, the amount of color in this room. Uh, some of you are like, not enough color in this room. But for me, when, you know, I was at West Community Church, it was, it was called San Gabriel Valley Japanese Christian Church. You know, I was Japanese. It was mostly Japanese people. But I'm, I'm, I'm cool with this. This is West Community. I went to West Community High. I'm like, come on. It, it's it's got to be open for my friends, my neighbors, too, right? So that's good because you know what? No race, no race has a monopoly on the truth. It doesn't. We need all of our perspectives. There's certain things that we see from our different perspectives. God, you know he made us all in the image, in his image, but different cultures came out of that. And in heaven, he's not going to raise cultures. He's not going to raise the race. Isn't that interesting? We're still going to have different tribes, different tongues, different languages, because no single race can reflect and contain all the beauty and awesomeness of God. Amen? Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. If you love one another. Take a look around the room. If you love one another, that's how the world's going to know if you're my follower. I was a public high school teacher uh, in uh, South L.A. as an English teacher for eight years. And uh, in that neighborhood, it was a poverty-sticking and very violent neighborhood that was mostly black and brown. And over time, you know, there, there was a lot of things I needed to learn. I, I was in way over my head. Over time, though, I got to know my students' lives. I got to hear their stories. I'm like, man, so much respect for uh, the resilience of my students. I, I got to learn about their families. I got, some of them even allowed me to enter into their homes, some of my students. God taught me so much, you know, about his heart of love and justice, especially for those who are overlooked and taken advantage of. You know, but some of my students found out I was Christian. There was a lot of, like, churches, you know, in the neighborhood, but still, uh, by God's grace, they wanted to come to my church for some reason. <laughs> uh, but the thing was, at the time, I went to church at West LA Holiness Church, which is majority Japanese American, you know, like mixed. Everybody was like, a, you know, there's uh, Blasians, like black Japanese Americans, you know, Korean Japanese Americans. My, my children are, you know, but Japanese American mostly. But, but so, uh, okay, so I started bringing them. It was a big cultural difference for them. <laughs> Right, not just for the students, but like for the uh, for the church, you know. We're like, well, well, you know. 
But they kept coming back. It's amazing. They kept coming back. You know why? Because even through the awkwardness, there was some awkward conversations, trust me. And mistakes, we made a lot of mistakes. The West LA Church family, I'm so, I'm so proud of this little church. Though racially and economically dipped, they showed love. They showed them love. They showed my students love. They ate with them. They invited them into their spaces and began to love them like family. So when the gospel of Jesus was shared with my students, they received it with joy. Why? Because they had a better sense of what that good news looked like. You're not just talk here. This good news really news, isn't it? What else do we learn about racism from this passage? We learn that friendship is a start of breaking racial prejudice. Uh, Cross-race friendships, they're a great place to start to combat racism when it feels so big. You know, Peter, he didn't always hang out with Gentiles. Go to Acts 10, right? God had to speak to him in three times in a vision. And still, like, Peter was like, well, he still did not get it. So he, God had to take him into a Gentile house, this guy named Cornelius. He had him preach the gospel to them, and then the Holy Spirit fell on them, and he's like, oh, I get it. Uh, maybe they're not unclean. Maybe God does love them. Maybe the gospel reaches to them. And then uh, it, it, it got to, uh, he, had, he started developing such a relationship with the Gentiles that Peter's racial prejudice started to break down. And did you know, not only did he baptize, he touched the Gentiles, he baptized them, he began to eat with them, something he swore he would never do. So through sustained interaction and friendship with real people of different races, limiting stereotypes, they just, they just won't be able to hold up. Right? It's easy to villainize someone you don't know, but when you get to eat with them, spend time with them, know their story, you're like, hmm, maybe some, I was wrong on some things. So to say, you know, I don't see color, that's actually not really helpful because what that conveys is that you don't see their full person. You know, color blindness is still a kind of blindness. To have a real relationship with a person is you see their whole person, including their color, and how that affects their experience in all the good, but in all the bad, the hard. And when I say friendship, I don't mean like a shallow, one-way relationship. When I say friendship, I mean a relationship that moves toward mutuality. What does that look like? So my wife and I, we sense God's calling for us to love a little bit more holistically. We we're both coming from education. So we moved into L.A. City's urban poor east side amongst predominantly working-class Latinos. Learning from a church that was doing ministry in the community, living in the community, of the community. I began to make friends that way from the neighborhood. But I have to confess, I, I, even after my years, eight years of teaching, I'd come in with an attitude of a savior where the help just flowed one way. Gus is someone I met early on. He's a Mexican-American that was raised by the streets like he could knock me out cold, right? Uh, he, he was not college educated. Uh, he, he had been through drug, drug abuse, rough sort of guy. But he met Jesus, and God transformed his pain and his anger into a deeper love. And his heart as a helper that was already there, it just really came out more to the surface. Because you see, he was already a, con a construction contractor. And I began to learn he had skills I completely lacked. 
right, even with my college education. And on top of this, God is so good. He's, he's just so equitable, I think. God pours out on Gus incredible spiritual gifts of the prophetic. Like, I'm talking dreams, interpreting dreams, like crazy stuff, right? God often uses Gus to rat me out. Uh, he'll come up to me really humbly, and he'll say, you know, Dave, I'm not sure if this is from the Lord, but, you know, he brought this image to mind. And bam, like, I'm laid bare. I'm like, who told you that, <laughs> you know? He shares with me something like, I didn't tell anybody, but only God would know. But, you know, he shares that with me to build me up, ultimately, not to just tear me down. Gus has helped me to Jesus so many times. He's not just a friend that I help, but he's a friend that helps me. Ours is a friendship of mutuality. But that didn't happen right away. That took time. That took time, y'all. It's not going to be easy. <laughs> it took time. I moved into the neighborhood in 2011, but it, I wouldn't say it was until 2016 that I actually moved into mutuality of friendships. It took, it took a while. God's patient. Praise the Lord. Right? Okay. What else do we learn about racism from this passage. Cross-race friendships, they must, they must move to challenge individual and systemic abuses. What do I mean by that? Friendship, it did break down Peter's racial prejudice, right? However, racism still persisted in Peter. I say this because although he personally overcame that racial prejudice uh, with the Gentiles, when these other Jews came along, Peter, fear came up. Fear got, what are they going to think? And he withdrew from the table of fellowship. This table, the communion table, we remember that. Table of fellowship. He withdrew from that in order to accommodate prejudice. He didn't challenge the Jewish believer's system of racism in their interactions, in their laws, in their beliefs. You're like, oh, maybe you're being kind of harsh, Dave. Maybe Peter didn't want to make waves or cause division, you know? He's just being like a good good Asian, you know? <laughs> but some things should never, never be accommodated. You understand? Racism is one of those things. This is the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. A peacekeeper, their priority is to maintain the status quo, like don't make waves. A peacemaker's priority is true reconciliation. The word shalom is wholeness. True reconciliation, it cannot happen if a wrong is not named. And restitution, some effort at restitution is not made. Think about it. If only the wrong group, the, the group that has been wrong, has to do all the adjusting and the speaking up, this is not true reconciliation. It's, that's why it's un, unsufficient to say, you know, I can't be racist because I have a friend who is X, whatever that is. You may have a friend who is X, whatever that race is, but what are you doing to break down racism where it persists? I don't mean, you know, you're going to go looking out for fights, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I do mean is that when racial prejudice and racism shows up, you are not going to give it a free pass anymore. You're not going to give in to fear anymore. As an Asian American, I confess that that's not easy for me. But we all, we must speak up. We cannot just go with the flow of racism. This is against the gospel. Scripture challenges 
us that love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Scripture even says love is what is able to drive out fear. So though you personally, you know, didn't make these laws and institutions, even our silence is complicity. In these ways, we can be racist without even knowing it, you know, because we're not pushing back against norms that are unjust, and they just favor one group over another. History tells us what happens when people have power to say something but don't, allowing things to happen with devastating consequences. All right, there's still some living here that have been interned just because of their race. More often, though, we may encounter more subtle, subtle forms of racial prejudice and racism. That may be like little offhand comments at dinner or something. A certain, certain friend groups. It, it could happen in leadership. Who is and who is not included in certain leadership decisions? We all need the help of Jesus to overcome the fear of man, the fear of what others think, in order to speak and do what's right. So you may not be well received for speaking to and practicing unconditional gospel love. Don't worry. Jesus and the prophets weren't always well received either. And sometimes those that you're even trying to love, they don't, they don't want to receive that either. But keep bringing yourself under the tutelage of the love of Jesus. Be willing to learn from people you're trying to love. Speak truth to power, especially if you have some form of power or authority. I close with this story. Uh, my friendship with Gus, it, it, it couldn't just stay there. I had to listen to him and neighbors like him. So as we listen in our community to our neighbors, affordable housing has become a great concern. The rent is just insane. The rent increases. Poor are being displaced, and homelessness has become unavoidable in our community. So our church members, be, we've begun to organize more, get more involved with local policy. One of my fellow coworkers, they had to speak up and challenge our council member about more affordable housing. We're starting to see some changes as we've rallied together to support more housing policies, linkage fees for uh, new constructions that uh, have some money set aside for housing, affordable housing, lifting of parking minimums to prioritize people, right? In any personal practice, I try not to stick to cliques in the church. That happens. But I try to step out, listen to, talk with, pray with uh, people who are new or who might feel like they're on the outside. I try to share the stories of my friends, like I'm doing with you now, of different race and classes. I try to speak up at our church conference-wide meetings that are mostly Caucasian, uh, I'm trying to regard the needs and concerns of my friends of color. Cross-race friendships, they must move to challenge individual and systemic abuses. Okay, this sounds hard. Why, why do I have to be engaged with this, Dave? What does this have to do with me? Consider, consider what would have happened if this racism wasn't addressed in the early church. Did you know we are the Gentiles? We are the Gentiles, uh, unless there's some Jewish brothers and sisters in our midst. We, that's us. We would not be here. 
if Paul didn't step up and speak for us. We are here because Jesus, the Son of God, but when he took on flesh, he was, took on the flesh of a Palestinian Jew. He laid down his life, not just for his own race and people, he laid down his life for all of us. If God's love and grace did not extend to us, outsiders of Israel, we would be lost. So, beloved sons and daughters of God, West Covina Church, in like fashion, let us love not just with words, but with action and in truth. Let us root out any racial prejudice within us or racism that we are allowing where it exists so we can more clearly see the good news of Jesus. Let's displace ourselves and put ourselves in structures that will help us interact with people that are different than us. That could be at work, that could be at school, heck, that could be some common hobbies. I know some of you are buff in here, you like to work out, right? <laughs> Social settings, do, do something you love, but do it with people different than you. Let us work at building deeper mutual relationships across race and class, where we not only meet needs that arise in our friends, but we allow them to meet our needs. Let us not live the fear of other people's opinions, but speak up whenever racial prejudice or racism shows itself and demonstrate another way. Let's be the church that Jesus gave his life for so that we would all be not the same, but we would be one in God's love. Amen? Lord, help us. Pastor Corey.